0: It was just such a hectic journey you, you all the whole IVF process and trying to work full-time and I didn't really realize how anxiety provoking and taxing it was emotionally and physically I was really just focused on that end goal and then the end goal happened and and you, you go 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 for so long and then suddenly a pandemic hit and we had a baby and then it's just us at home and these same four walls day after day doing the same monotonous stuff. Um, There was no sleepovers, you know, with my mum. There was no coffees and brunch dates at cafes. There was no family around or, or visitors. There was no holidays to Queensland. There was no story time at the library. There was there was no mothers group so it was it was a real joyous time especially those first 3 months in our lives but it was almost the, it was the most loneliest i've ever felt in in my whole entire life
1: hello and welcome to parenthood conversations about life after kids I'm your host, Leonia Akidanor, and every fortnight I will bring you discussions about the real and raw realities of parenting, life behind the Instagram filter. Join us as we laugh, cry and bond over the organised chaos that is parenthood. Phoebe, Matt, welcome to the podcast. So great to have you guys on with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank We're you. so excited. Very excited. <laughs> I always love getting dads on, Matt. So it's awesome that you could be here with us as well because we were actually the Mum Life podcast, but I just love hearing dad's opinions and getting their take on the parenthood journey as well. Because if you are fortunate enough to be in a couple, I mean, there are two parents in the picture. So it's so great to have you with us today. And thank you for being brave enough to share your
2: story. (laughs) Absolutely. no, I'm happy to be here.
1: So for everyone listening, um, we've actually been friends for many a years. We actually ran in the same circles during all the way back from high school days. So it's, um, it's been really cool to see your journey, guys, and, um, probably similarly you guys seeing mine. Um, but what we haven't done is really delve deep into some of the experiences that you had from Trying to conceive and even the first year of parenthood. And um, what I'm really interested in, and I think this is where a lot of people get a huge amount of value, is really understanding some of the challenges that we do experience that we, you know, are happening behind closed doors and no one's talking about them. And I think, you know, the more. T- the more we talk about these challenges, the more that people hear about other people's true stories and not just the stuff they see on Instagram, um, you know, the more we sort of realise that, yeah, it can be a bumpy road for for us all. Um, and the other thing on that was I actually looked up, I don't often look at our um, listenership and, um, you know, how many people are listening to episodes, et cetera, but more recently I did for the first time. And what was really interesting is that our episode called Challenges Conceiving with Sonia O'Mara was one of our most listened to episodes. Um, so that really tells me there's a sure. thirst out there for more true stories around people's conceiving journeys. Happy to be here. and happy to help. So we'll start right from the start. So Phoebe, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah. When did you know that you were ready to start trying for a baby?
0: It was pretty quick. It was on our honeymoon, I think. We did the romantic honeymoon um, first in the Maldives, which was lovely, and then we um, did a honeymoon with our bridal party the week later in Bali. And it was funny, all of us... Females were just lying by the pool all day, reading books about how to get knocked up and <laughs> yeah. and all of those things, and just started to learn about ovulation and mm. and how it all works, and mm. hearing different stories about friendship groups, and finding out that it's really not as easy as as we all think. You mm. spend a lot of years um, trying not to get pregnant, mm. and then suddenly you find out sometimes it's not that easy. So. Mm. Yeah, I think it was the honeymoon. It was quite quick that we knew we wanted to start trying. And I think it was just a few months later that we came home and we, and we did start trying.
1: Mm. And Matt, were you sort of really on board as well? Sort of same mindset around, okay, now we've gotten married. It would make sense for, for us to start trying, or were you more resistant? What was your situation?
2: No, I was totally on board. Um, we were together for quite a while before uh, before we were married. So, um, yeah, we were both pretty keen. I was probably pushing even a little bit harder for Phoebe oh, and really? Phoebe to, to get yeah. started pretty quickly after the yeah. wedding, and Phoebe was keen just to give it a couple of months just to let married life settle in before we yeah. really got stuck into it.
1: And so what did that process look like? I'll throw it to you, Phoebe. So when you sort of thought, okay, now I am ready, um, what did that look like? Because I know a lot of people like get the apps and they're tracking sort of their cycles and things like that. Did you go to that sort of length? So what did it look like for you?
0: It was more, as I said, reading those books Um there's a book called What to Expect When You're Expecting, but there's a book before that called uh, What to Expect Before You're Expecting. And I started reading that and just learning about the body and understanding ovulation. And, yeah, I did start um, going through the motions of of, um, testing out the ovulation, going through um, using thermometers and things like that. But really we were just trying. We were mm. we wanted to keep it fun. So we were just yeah. trying. Um yeah. and we thankfully got pregnant um quite quickly at the start. It only took mm. a month or two and yeah, yeah wow. we were pregnant very early on and we thought, oh, this is quite easy, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Good thing you were safe all those years ago. <laughs> so so talk to me from Tell me about the day that you found out you were pregnant the first time. We
0: were in Sydney on a weekend away. Um, It was a very special weekend and I was a day late and I was so excited to to take a pregnancy test. So I got up at four o'clock in the morning to (laughs) to go to the bathroom and took a test by myself and it turned out um, positive. And I was Blown away! I was so excited, so I ran into the room, woke up Matt, and and told him the good news. I
2: was very confused and sleepy uh, at first, <laughs> but um, very quickly realised how exciting it was. And yeah. um, it was really like a, a fairy tale because it had happened so quickly, and it was probably quicker than what we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was amazing. So uh, I just couldn't believe it, and um, you know, what a story to tell our, our future. Um, you know son or or daughter um that we were in sydney the weekend that we found out and we went out Mm -hmm. and celebrated etc but uh yeah it was it almost
0: felt too good to be true it happened mm -hmm. too quickly we're on a romantic weekend away it just Mm -hmm. yeah from from the start it almost felt too good to be true really
1: Mm, and what were the first couple of weeks of that pregnancy like for you phoebe
0: really normal i didn't really Mm. feel any changes i wouldn't have said oh yes i felt pregnant i Mm. I didn't feel any different really um Mm. we kept the pregnancy a secret from the majority of our friends um i told my two closest girlfriends sarah and olivia who um Mm. has been on the podcast a regular (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) goes without saying telling those two girls i definitely kept it a secret from my mum um, I had the whole thing planned out. We were going to surprise her with an ultrasound in a, in a card for Mother's Day. Mm. Um, so we're talking March 2018, this must have been. So, mm. yeah, we were, we, were, we were excited but keeping things
1: very low-key. Mm-hmm. And, and had you done the birth so did you go ahead and do the birth scan organize the obstetrician oh, what was sort of the steps we, we yeah. called the
0: obstetrician mm. um and we went in together for our eight-week scan that mm. was surreal that was very exciting mm. there was a heartbeat which was amazing um mm. the fetus was measuring a little smaller than what the doctor anticipated um, for the number of weeks we were mm. um, But he wasn't concerned at all. I'd also had a bit of spotting that morning before the appointment, Mm -hmm. Um, and again he said, "There's a heartbeat. Not to worry. Everything will be fine." Um, So we went along that afternoon, and
2: hearing that heartbeat though was amazing. Like that was Mm -hmm. you know a life changing moment. The the first time that that you hear that heartbeat, Mm -hmm. and it really. Probably made us more excited um, for what was ahead than, than where we were at previously um, because mm-hmm. all we'd had was the pregnancy test. So hearing that heartbeat really made it feel real. Yeah, yeah totally. It was very exciting.
1: Uh, at what point did you realise that things weren't actually as um, healthy and, and well as, it, as you thought they were? It was that night, so we
0: miscarried yeah. that night. Um, mm-hmm. That afternoon I started having cramps. I was in agony, um, intense pain, mm-hmm. hormone surging. It was like a scene out of a horror movie. I was really? in the bathroom, called Matt in. Mm-hmm. We called the obstetrician and he confirmed straight away what, what we already knew.
1: Mm. So what does that feel like, Phoebe? Like what do you so you said crap? Is it like severe period pain severe kind period of cramp? Pain, like yeah. just intense,
0: intense cramps, like you're mm. on the floor. Um mm. it was it was terrible. Um so yeah, yeah, we were just over just over eight weeks. Yeah. Um, and you, I actually, I mean, I don't know if this is too graphic or not, but Good. the the sack had passed through, so we saw the oh, sack oh, in the right. in the bathroom, which not a lot of women do. A lot of women yeah. um, won't pass it, and they'll have to go oh. into surgery and have um, a a sweep or a DNC, right. um, which we didn't need to do. So I guess I'm thankful. Mm-hmm for that Um, and then it's just um, a few days of a really, really heavy period and I guess all those hormones are changing um, rapidly. So, um, yeah, it's not only physically really difficult but very mentally difficult as well. It's a shocking experience.
1: What was it like for you, Matt, as soon as you hear Phoebe call out from the bathroom? Like what was going through your head?
2: Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was traumatic and uh, you feel a little helpless as well because you can see how much pain um, your partner is is in at that point and, you know, you just know that there's nothing that can be done at that point. Mm-hmm. It's it's heartbreaking. There was like a real emptiness um, for probably a couple of weeks afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was very tough. Um, you well, know, I didn't go through the physical side of it, but it was mm-hmm. one of the toughest things that, that I've ever been through. Really, um, mm-hmm. so it was a, a big challenge for, for both of us. We were both at all time lows. It was mm-hmm. it was terrible, and you feel ridiculous
0: because you're so upset oh. over a miscarriage at, at nine weeks. Yeah, it's barely a fetus, and you never mm-hmm. really understand until you go through it yourself. Previously, to be honest, I felt very sorry if I'd heard of a woman. Having a miscarriage, and you're trying to understand what what they're going through, and you're very empathetic, but you really can't understand what someone's going through. Um, it's not about carrying the baby; it's itself. It's about um, you know that bubble that you're in for those first eight or nine weeks, all those thoughts um, running through your head of um, reading books every night, Googling all day, dreaming about names and the nursery, and then all your plans just come crashing down within an hour or two. So it's, yeah, it was devastating. And Mm -hmm. to make things worse, um, Olivia and Sarah, my two best friends were pregnant at the same time. So the three of us were all pregnant. It was like a dream come true. So I had so many things running through my head at that stage, but yeah, Mm -hmm. not being Pregnant with my two best friends was was crushing.
2: Mm. Yeah, and after the fact, we started to, to realise, once we opened up with some friends and, and family about what had happened, um, just how common it was. Um, mm. But nobody really opens up until until you start to open up. And we were just blown away by how many people that were so close to us that have been affected by similar mm. things in the past, but we just mm. had no idea. Um, so for us, from that point on, we made a point of, of making sure that we're open about it and um, and really sharing our, our story um, mm. so that people know that it's okay to talk about this type of stuff.
1: Oh, it's so important, honestly. And there shouldn't be—I don't know—sometimes from from other friends who have had who have miscarried, they feel as though this they carry a sense of shame, perhaps a sense of guilt. You know, they think back and they're like, "Could I have done anything?" You know, all the all the thoughts go running around your head. Did you guys feel those sort of emotions too?
0: Definitely. You go through all the stages um, of grief, I think. And I'd had an ultrasound that day, an internal ultrasound with the obstetrician. So I'm thinking, it was it the internal ultrasound? Was it this? Was it me? Did we do anything wrong? Is it, am I stressed? Am I not stressed? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you go through all the stages. Um, but really talking about it with friends was so helpful. As Matt said, mm-hmm. it, it was um, quite cathartic um, and it really helped helped
2: both of us i think i knew in the in the back of my mind deep down that there was absolutely no chance that there was anything that we'd done that had impacted that it just wasn't right it yeah. just and yeah in hindsight it was probably a blessing that the pregnancy failed when it did um, yeah. because if we we're further down the track you know once you start buying prams and start setting oh. up nurseries it's just going to be so much more traumatic oh. so um that was kind of the Trying to put a positive spin on what's a pretty Mm. pretty um, pretty heavy situation was really Mm. my focus in trying to support Phoebe so that we could move Mm. on and and try and get back on
1: track. Mm. So, at what point did you actually think, you know, what we would like to start trying again?
0: We spent the next two months processing what had happened, and then rather quickly moved on to okay, let's try this again. You know, Mm. you sort of you go through, as I said, all the processes and thoughts in your head, and then you're yeah back on board let's let's do this again um and soon after that uh yeah two or three months later we had another miscarriage much earlier um that we really even didn't know about the obstetrician we went in for an appointment and the obstetrician told us um that you've miscarried so that one wasn't as painful for some reason
2: i don't know if it wasn't further
0: along or we we knew now that these things happen. We're we're not superheroes and
2: yeah, the fact that we hadn't even had a positive um, pregnancy test on, on that one was we didn't even know we were pregnant. So, by the time we found out that we'd miscarried, it was we didn't even know it had happened.
0: The next 12 months were were difficult and we actually moved obstetricians. I wanted to be under the care of an obstetrician that also specialized in infertility and IVF, so the current obstetrician was A great obstetrician but he wasn't involved in an IVF practice and we knew at that stage that we may need to be looking at that down the track. So me, the the type A personality and planner wanted to have um, everything in place and ready to go. So I made that change quite early after that second miscarriage to, Mm -hmm. to move obstetricians. At that point, really, we needed a plan. I needed someone to tell me what to do, how how we're going to go through this, and whether it was IVF or whether it was other things. Mm-hmm. I needed a plan. Um, so the new obstetrician was fantastic. He was super supportive and great at building plans. And we saw him, and we went through all the initial fertility testing just mm-hmm. to really find out if we're we're both healthy and all all the parts are working properly and,
1: and so far. So at what point did you um, actually make the decision to say, you know what, we're actually going to do these tests now just to make sure that everything's working, et cetera? How long had you been trying for after the, that second miscarriage and then going to see the obstetrician for the tests?
0: Would have been about six months of okay. naturally trying, yeah. um, and it was negative test after negative test. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the start, it was we were getting pregnant quite easily, and that was that was great. The pregnancies weren't viable, but we were getting pregnant, and then um, over the next six months, it was negative test after negative test. So, that's yeah. when we, we thought we need a plan here of, of what we're going to, to do. So, we went through all the testings, um, and there was no findings for either of us that would be giving us any um, cause for infertility. So that that was great news.
2: Yeah, huge relief um, mm-hmm. because that was playing on the back of our minds after yeah. – uh, a couple of failed attempts, and then um, and then a number of months trying without any success doesn't feel like it's a long time because it can take a long time to fall mm-hmm. pregnant. Um, yeah. But for us, those miscarriages were definitely playing on our mind a little bit, so we we thought that it was best to get it checked out um, before we before we, we kept
1: trying. It's the best thing. I mean, speaking to so many different couples and and mothers, et cetera, over this podcast. Um, one of the biggest regrets for a lot of people is they didn't seek support earlier and they just kept trying. And I had, you know, a girlfriend who tried for four years and then eventually sought support and, you know, and like when you know what you want and you, and she was type A2 and very driven and goal-oriented, I cannot even imagine the headspace you would be month after month feeling like you failed, you know, in, in what you're trying to achieve. Just on that, Phoebe had, like, where is your head at in, during those six months when you're trying and you're not achieving and you're an achiever. So where, where was your head at?
0: It was, it was terrible. I was, Mm. I was getting more and more anxious month after month. It Mm. was, it was horrific. We, we saw Chris, the new obstetrician. And and after we did the tests, he said, look, keep trying naturally for a while and then we can um, start some ovulation induction injections Um, So that's basically one of the first fertility treatments that you can do before IVF and it's um, injecting medications, hormone medications into your system to um, regulate your ovulation and then increase the number of, Eggs during a cycle, which then would hopefully increase your chance of pregnancy. So we tried that for a few months, and that's a daunting task itself. Mm-hmm. You know, giving yourself injections, and all my good girlfriends know I hated injections. Mm-hmm. I hated needles,
2: and I hate them too. I, I'm known uh, to faint in hospitals, so yeah. <laughs> uh, Phoebe wouldn't let me near her with <laughs> with okay. the needles. So Phoebe was an absolute trooper, having to sort of uh, man up. I think the first couple mm-hmm. of years. You got some help from friends and whatnot mm. to, to to get it done. But over time, you just grew in confidence, and it was mm. it was amazing to see Phoebe so determined to uh, to, to get through that herself. It was it was great.
1: And is it does it play with your hormones big time? As far as yeah, yeah, yeah it does.
0: Um, mm. It's a lot of blood tests, a lot of visits to the doctor, and they're 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 tracking everything as well. Um, they're tracking all the ovulation signs for you, and then they sort of tell you. Okay, you you need to go now. This is your, your time, um, which is also stressful for the male because you'll see you'll see the obstetrician that day, and he'll say, "Okay, we're going to give you a trigger injection now uh, to trigger ovulation. You need to go home and and uh, have some fun in the bedroom in this three hour window." And there's a lot of pressure for yeah. for both of you, but it's a lot of pressure for the husband. Mm.
1: Yeah, what was what, have, what was that like for you, Matt, like just kind of going through that process?
2: Yeah, it was a lot of stress and a lot of pressure mm-hmm. um, because it really narrows that window, whereas previously um, there were a lot of variables. Um, mm-hmm. This really does, as I said, narrow the window where you uh, where you need to, to perform basically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it made it tougher and it probably played on on both of our minds a, a little bit more and potentially even added stress to the situation um, which was already already stressful enough so it was a, it was a, an interesting process to go through that's for sure
0: and then again it was we were doing um, these inductions um, for a few months and it was a negative test again month after month so that was I think that was we were both just feeling anxious month after month and not even mm. really knowing it. Then, but our obstetrician was great, Chris. He really saw the signs that both of us were getting quite stressed Mm -hmm. Um, and he was fantastic. He's got a great support team with nurses and psychologists and and one thing we did do was get a referral to a fertility psychologist um, that Chris recommended and and that was wonderful. We both went along together um, each week and, and did a number of sessions with her and that was a really good way to support each other um, as well, which was good. I that found is that amazing.
1: really helped. Yeah, I'd never heard of that—a um, fertility psychologist specifically. I mean, it makes so much sense. But I mean, that's a great tip for anyone listening who is struggling as well. Like, you know, looking up someone who who specialises in that area. Were there other things that you did during that process that you found supportive?
0: That was the main, the main one. And we, and we, we thought, okay, well, what's next in the plan? It's IVF. And we spoke to Chris, um, and he gave us, um, all the ins and outs of IVF. Um, we really started to educate ourselves, but we thought we we need a reset here. So we really started, um, the psychology lessons once a week and we thought, okay, let's plan a trip to, to Europe. Um, one last holiday before the the IVF starts. So I think that was really good as well, Um, a holiday to take away from everything, to relax.
2: Um, Um, I could let
0: my hair down.
2: It was a real restart for, for both of us and, we both hadn't had a decent holiday for, for quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had the honeymoon, but prior to that, it was, it was a long time before, uh, before our, our previous trip. So we, mm. were, uh, we really needed it at that point. So it was the perfect circuit breaker for us before we really mm. got, got into the IVF side of things.
1: And I guess also, you know, you would have gone feeling hopeful, like we've got a plan. It's going to be fine. We'll do IVF when we get back. Let's just enjoy this time versus feeling month after month that you're doing the things, but not getting the results. Was that sort of the feeling as well? Yeah, definitely.
0: And again, being a very planned person, if I know that I've got a plan and there's a next step to the plan, then I'm okay. So I was okay knowing, look, we've done all the testing. This nothing wrong with either of us. We've been pregnant before. Uh, We're quite anxious and stressed now. Um, We need a circuit breaker and we've got a plan when we come back. So we were feeling quite, quite good and, and quite optimistic, which
1: was good. Mm. so what happened when you got back talk us through the IVF process and actually even before you talk about your journey tell me a little bit about how it works because I'm sure there's other people listening as well who who have no idea
0: yeah definitely so well we returned from Europe and we met with um, Monash IVF they were fantastic it's a great experience Um, you feel supported each and every step of the way nothing's left unturned there's always someone to speak with IVF was a way of creating healthy and strong embryos, and then having implanted them at the perfect time, and having the correct medications then to aid the body in remaining pregnant in those early weeks. Um, we already had private health insurance, so that was really um, that was really helpful. They give great rebates, and also Medicare give really good rebates, which I never knew as well. So um, make sure that you register for the safety net. Um, which is a tip for anyone starting IVF because they give really good mm-hmm. rebates. Okay. Um, the first payment—I'll talk about pricing because yeah. that's something that we didn't—we didn't know. No one yeah. really speaks about no, pricing. That's right. mm. So the first payment was roughly five thousand dollars, but it includes mm-hmm. all the appointments. Um, they've got a dedicated team of professionals, and you're, you're um, given a nursing team, which is great, of three nurses who you can call twenty-four-seven. Um, it includes all your blood tests, all your scans, ultrasounds, medications, counselling as well. So um, the counselling is um, you must do that with, with IVF plus police checks. So it's a, it's a lot to go through. There's a lot of steps involved, but the price includes all of that, which was helpful.
1: For your first round, is that, so 5K for your first round? Yes, yeah, so that's your first yeah. round.
0: And okay. then you pay additional fees, which are about $2,000 if you need any further transfers or freezing of embryos. Um, mm-hmm. So I was thinking in my head it was probably going to be about $10,000. So we were mm. happily surprised with $5,000 plus mm. the rebates as well. So it was and you, for us.
1: Do you have to have private health to do IVF? No not okay okay we found not. that the um
0: you the money you got back from your private health insurance mm. was, was helpful and worth it so yeah that's okay. the, the way we chose to go about it but you don't have to
1: so what was your very first visit like when you said okay we're jumping on the IVF process what happened next
0: um the first cycle's really taxing as I said you're, you've it's a lot of paperwork you're getting everything sorted going through all the steps doing all the counseling doing all the police checks. And then you start going through the stimulation phase via hormone injections, so basically growing your follicles um, as well as taking hormones um, to ensure that the body doesn't ovulate naturally before your egg retrieval and then medication to strengthen the uterus lining.
1: Um, So is that injections plus medication during that process? Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. And how often do you inject? Once to twice a day. Okay. Yeah. Does it hurt when you're injecting yourself? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of them don't. I'm going to say some of them don't. I don't Mm. want to scare people. Yeah. There's a few that do. There's a few larger than others.
1: So okay. My- and then like day one of injecting yourself, do you straight away feel the physical implications, the emotional implications of having injected yourself? Or is it a build up over time that you start feeling a little off? Or I
0: think it's a build up over time. Okay. Each day you start to feel those hormones
1: racing mm-hmm. through the body. Um, mm. Yeah. What does that feel like? What, what are the sensations? What was it like?
0: Definitely not physical, physically ill, but you just okay. feel different. And I think a lot of that is the progesterone. Progesterone does weird and wonderful things to the body, and that's the one that is thickening the lining of the uterus. Okay. Um, and it's actually a, a pessary, um, and that one does weird and wonderful things to you. You How just felt you different. You can't put your you finger on feel
1: it. You just felt yeah. different. How long do you need to inject for for that first bit? It's one to two weeks okay. um, and you're going into the
0: hospital as well for daily blood tests and scans to monitor the daily. follicles, watch them grow, wow. how many are there, um, and then they tell you exactly when to give yourself the trigger injection again mm-hmm. um, and that's to um, assist with the egg retrieval. So the egg retrieval is actually done in hospital under general anaesthetic. Mm-hmm. So, you go in that morning, you've you've done your trigger injection, you both go into hospital, you stay together for the first. Part, um, and then you say goodbye to each other, and I go off to sleep and into surgery for the egg retrieval, and Matt uh, goes into another room for his contribution. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, so uh, it's uh, definitely uh, one of the most awkward things that I've really <laughs> had to go through because um, you had to go through it a couple of times through throughout mm. the stage with the initial tests, and then obviously with mm. the IVF process. Um.
0: I think this time the it's it, there's a lot of pressure because the, the sample is a fresh sample for the male yeah. and it has to be done within an hour of the egg retrieval because it's oh, important yeah. for the eggs and the sperm mm-hmm. um, to be put together as soon as the eggs come out of the egg retrieval. So it's mm-hmm. it's quite a process and it's all about the length of time. So I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of pressure as well.
2: Where When you mm-hmm. had done it previously...
0: It was not just, so much pressure. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: right. And um, just tried not to think about it too much, and, yeah. and got in there and did what I needed to do, so that yeah. uh, so that we could keep the thing keep the thing moving. Yeah, <laughs> we can laugh about it now. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Again, when, when you talk to your mates about this over a beer, it's amazing how many people have actually been through it as yeah. well. So, a couple oh. of my mates had some very funny stories where they had to. Uh, stick the sample under their armpit to keep it at a temperature while they drove <laughs> it to the hospital. It's uh, quite, the, quite the visual, but uh, didn't have to do that this time around.
1: <laughs> that is gold.
0: So the embryology team take the eggs and the sperm, and they're located at the same hospital that you have your retrieval. So it's all done there on that day. Yeah. Uh, we go home, so um, yeah. we've we've done our two bits, and and we say goodnight and we go home. Yeah. And then it's up to the embryology team now to do their work. So they basically put it in a petri dish and they watch Whoa. it twenty four hours a day for five days. Yeah. Um, they call you every every day to give you updates on the eggs um, and whether they're fertilizing into embryos. We had eight eggs retrieved, which was a good number. I think anywhere between five to 15 is normal, so we were were really happy with eight. Um, And then five fertilized over those five days
1: um is that a good number like as in what what do they say for a success rate, or what's an average
0: when when it comes to that part they don't give Mm. any averages and all they say is you only need one
1: yeah i think it's
0: quite common to lose a lot on the way not all fertilize and not Mm. all survive the five-day incubation period Um, it's quite normal to have your numbers drop off as the
2: days go on so there's definitely a drop-off rate that they talk about and Mm. at the start there's potentially eggs that aren't even suitable for fertilization so that was the first drop-off rate then there could be failure in the fertilisation and then there could be failure in that incubation period. So, yeah, they, they definitely give you a heads up that there could be a, a pretty significant drop-off rate, but as Phoebe said, um, they're always quite positive in that you really just need one. Um, yeah, So okay. um, for us to get uh, five, five um, successful yeah, fertilised yeah. eggs is, uh, is, a, is a great result considering the potential wow. drop-off rates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What was it like for both of you waiting those five days and getting the daily updates? And what is that like? Were you just like stressed out of your mind?
0: No, you? Excited? I was really excited. Or, I yeah. was excited that one, we had eggs and mm. two, that they were fertilizing. So yeah, mm. I was really excited. I wasn't stressed at all, actually. Those five days we're okay. The stressful part is comes next. Um, they, after day five, they tell you, okay, we've got, we've got five embryos Mm -hmm. and they tell you to come in the next day and you'll have your um, transplant of your embryo. So you can either decide at that stage to freeze all of your embryos, or you can decide to have a fresh one, um, implanted and the rest Frozen. If you want to give your body a bit of a rest, but we were, we were feeling good. So we thought, no, let's do the fresh transfer um, of one embryo um, and we'll freeze the rest. So we went into hospital the next day and they picked, the embryology team that morning, pick the strongest, most viable um, embryo that they think is going to take um, and, and we had that transplanted. Matt, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> on day two of the fertilisation or incubation process, I got on a plane and buggered off to L.A. So oh, I was no, in L.A. What? for work and um, <laughs> Phoebe was at home um, taking the phone calls, burying all the information back to me while I was uh, while I was yeah in L.A. Um, so oh. I wasn't even... Uh, in the country, I was fourteen hours away by plane when oh. uh, when that egg was implanted. Um, oh,
1: yeah, into, back into yeah. Trees, Mum but... took me
0: to the hospital, yeah. and it's mm. a nice, easy procedure. the The transplant uh-huh. itself, it's five minutes. There's no anaesthetic. Mm. It's not painful at all. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. like having a pap smear. And and they get this little embryo out of the, out of the incubator and Mm. pop it in, and they they show you on ultrasound. It's like a guided ultrasound, and they show you that the embryo is in the lining there, and Mm. and then you're on your way.
1: Yeah, right. Um,
0: And then that's when the wait is. It's then a two week wait to see whether that turns into a, a pregnancy or not. Um, so after two weeks you have a blood test and they call you that same day with the results to let you,
1: to let you know. And we were thankfully pregnant, which is exciting. So amazing. First time as well, honestly, like you hear about, you know, you hear all the stories, right. Of some people have tried it so many times and what a sense of relief, but then curious, were you both Comprehensive, trying, not cautiously optimistic given your history or were you able to sort of go, you know what, we're feeling pretty comfortable now? Like what, what was going through your heads?
0: Uh, no, we were shitting ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no other way to explain it. When you've had a miscarriage, it's, it's, it plays on your mind constantly mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, it's great, we're pregnant now, but let's not get too excited and it's mm-hmm. it's week after week each week you get to is a milestone and then the next week and the next week it's
2: it was really week I'd say week 34 week 35 before Phoebe started to actually relax so that's wow. how, how long it took um, before we actually had peace of mind that, uh, that you know it was a viable pregnancy and, and that everything was going to be okay it was it was definitely uh, definitely playing on our mind the whole way through.
1: Yeah, I can't even imagine. So uh, at that point in which you're told you're pregnant, from then on, is it just like a normal, I mean, I say normal with, you know, the the talking marks, but pregnancy from then on, or are there more checks that you need to do along the way than sort of an, a, a natural pregnancy? How does it work? Not
0: really. It's pretty normal. Um, yeah. And for me, it was really smooth sailing. I had a really nice pregnancy, um, mm. nothing really different to report. Mm. Um, I yeah, felt good. I didn't have any morning sickness. It was mm. it was pretty easy. Um, and mm. there's really nothing different as far as I know with IVF, other than mm. it's quite common now to be induced at 39 weeks now yeah. Um, yeah. for IVF patients because mm. Uh, research papers are showing that the amniotic fluid um, and and the uterus really stops functioning for for the baby at 39 weeks, so it's best to get the baby out, um, mm-hmm. which also was suited me quite well. I was petrified of going into labour at. 39, 40, 41 weeks Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, calling the hospital. No, you can't come in yet. You need to (laughs) be this, you know, far along. And I just, the unknowns were so daunting to me. So when Chris said, I would prefer to induce you at 39 weeks, this will be your date. This is your time. Mm -hmm. We'll see you then. I thought, great. I'm going to put that in the diary. Thank you very much.
1: You feel so civilized, don't you, when they tell you that? So pregnancy number one with me, with Noah, I did it sort of then i guess um we just sort of let it happen and um and so i had the whole waiting at home and all that and i was terrified right pregnancy number 2 i had really bad so for both pregnancies i had really bad prenatal depression but not I won't say really bad. I had prenatal depression, um, but number two was worse, weirdly. And so it got to the point where my obstetrician said, look, for your peace of mind, we're going to look to induce you instead. Cause I was just so anxious about the whole thing. And I just remember feeling so civilized, you know, you pack your bags and off you go to the hospital. It's <laughs> You're you just like, you check yourself in, you know, <laughs> it's you, can, you know, yeah, know exactly, what to expect. Exactly. So I so yeah I so he and I yeah from a mental health perspective even just knowing that it just takes away the one uncertainty of the million uncertainties that you have ahead of you so I can so relate um so once you gave birth tell me I'd I'd be really curious for for each of you I mean what shocked you the most after giving birth whether it's the birth process itself or even just the very early days of having a newborn?
0: What shocked me? They don't care you for the things they should they um oh you know you see this these beautiful photos of babies on women's chests looking beautiful after birth and you think oh yeah that looks that looks good that's easy yeah yeah it's just not what happens i remember yeah. just walking around the room for like eight hours that day in the birthing suite naked You know, my bum hanging out, people staring at me all day, leaking fluid with every contraction all over the birthing suite floor. And I'm like, should I be wearing a pad? Should I be doing something? And they're like, no, just let it all leak out and fine. We'll clean up after you. It's so barbaric.
1: Yeah.
0: it it was and you know now 30 minutes after giving birth I was so tired and dazed blood everywhere it's a scene out of like a horror movie I remember just standing in the shower and my private parts are about triple the size of what they normally are there's stitches hanging down your legs and I'm just in the shower going I cannot believe I've just had a baby and this is it's just they don't tell you all that stuff. No. It's all about the breastfeeding and the this and the that and mm. and it's the nursery planning and once you're home. No, no, no. Mm. They need to tell you what it's really like. Um,
1: absolutely. I can so relate. I had an um a and so similarly had the stitches and all that and you're sitting there like on one bum cheek after and you're like or and then you shuffle over to the other bum cheek and you're like how long is this pain going to be there for?
0: You're putting ice Packs down there packs down and there. It's crazy, but it it's is. all worth it. And people must forget about it because they go back and do it again. Yeah. Right? <laughs>
1: What about you, Matt, in those very early stages, birth and you know the first couple of weeks, what, what comes to mind around the shock factor?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, nobody warned me that I'd be following Phoebe around for those eight hours with paper towels mopping up after her. So I'm sure to warn all of my mates as soon as I find out that they're pregnant with their first, I'm like, okay, here's, here's the lowdown. So uh, it, it really was... Um, An amazing process, though. Mm. Um, Yeah, Phoebe Phoebe was amazing that day. Um, And it's like when the baby arrives, it's just the most euphoric feeling that you just, cannot describe and everyone says it and when you're hearing about it in the lead up to it's like okay I'm sure it'll be amazing but words really can't describe how amazing it is and the love that fills that room um you know in the first couple of hours after after the birth it's it's quite amazing. Um, mm. but then the first uh, four to five days, once you get out of that birthing suite, it's it's quite a roller coaster. It's it's a shit it's, show. Yes, it's uh, yeah. not a lot of sleep, a lot of things to learn. It's a real crash course. And uh, it... no book, I, I can tell
0: you, I read a hundred books. Nothing <laughs> will prepare you. I, we'll talk about what we went through, and and I suffered from postnatal anxiety and depression um, after having gorgeous little Millie. Um, she was an angel, an angel child, an angel baby. And I was very emotional at the start, but it wasn't until the third month, um, that you realize that I realized something, something was different. Um, it was just such a hectic journey, all the whole IVF process and trying to work full time. And I didn't really realize how anxiety provoking and taxing it was emotionally, and physically I was really just focused on that end goal and then the end goal happened and, and you, you go, go, go for so long and then suddenly a pandemic hit and we had a baby and then it's just us at home in these same four walls day after day doing the same monotonous stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, there was no sleepovers, you know, with my mum. there was no coffees and brunch dates at cafes. There was no family around or, or visitors. There was no holidays to Queensland. There was no story time at the library. There was, Mm -hmm. there was no mother's group. So it was, it was a real joyous time, especially those Mm -hmm. first three months in our lives. But it was almost, it was the most loneliest I've ever felt in, in my whole entire life. I I can't describe Mm -hmm. it. Mm. Um, and then we had the addition of Millie being diagnosed with hip dysplasia. I had breastfeeding issues. I was put on mm. metilium treatment, which is a tablet to to produce breast milk, which mm. played havoc on my hormones. Um, Millie mm. had a cow's milk allergy and <laughs> had to stop breastfeeding and she was allergic to every formula. My oh, grandfather she... passed away the week um, that I gave birth to Millie, oh. it was a tough time. So I think mm-hmm. by the third month, I um, I realised something felt something felt different, and it was really insomnia, which I'd never suffered mm-hmm. before. And I was walking around the house. Millie was sleeping like a dream 12 hours a night Mm. since since seven weeks of age. Wow. Matt was sleeping like a baby. (laughs) And then suddenly I'm walking around the house and there was three nights in a row at one stage where I was sleeping for 60 to 90 minutes and that's it. So it was then that Matt sprung into action, I think.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And like, Talking about those first three months as a, as a starting point, it was mm. literally like you heard Phoebe rattle them off there. It was like mm. every week we faced a new challenge and it just felt like it was never-ending. So it was literally as we got towards the end of that three-month mark um, where we started to get into a little bit of a rhythm and we could start to see some, some light at the end of the tunnel. Millie was sleeping well and that's when... Phoebe really really started to, to realise that there was something else going on and it wasn't just all of the challenges that we were facing. Um, so, yeah, we, we hopped to it. We moved pretty quickly. Um, Millie and I moved into the spare bedroom um, to give mm-hmm. Phoebe a little bit of space. Um, mm-hmm. So I was really taking the lead at night so that Phoebe could rest uh, mm-hmm. and Phoebe was looking after Millie through through the days and it was real teamwork. We really just played to each other's strengths and made sure that mm-hmm. we were, I guess, dividing the duties as equally as we could and I was taking as much of the load as, as possible so that mm-hmm. um, Phoebe had some some space to to get her mind right um because mm-hmm. we, we needed her we, we needed to, to work as a team to to uh to raise this little girl Millie so mm-hmm. um yeah it was but it was a challenging time um, but um Phoebe did a did a great job to you know get in to see all the right specialists and talk through all of the all of the right things and um now we're uh, we're stronger than ever after that
1: after so looking back on that journey then, Phoebe, what are the things you would recommend to, um, you know, mums or dads experiencing postnatal um, insomnia, you know, anxiety, all of those things? What helped you? My GP
0: was amazing. Um, you know, I've never really been super close with her in and out when I've needed to, um, you know, I've never suffered from anxiety or anything before where I've really needed to build a, a, a good relationship with her, but She was fantastic. She gave me her mobile number. She knew straight away what was going on. In the first few days, she had um, me on some sleeping pills and medications to to try and, and assist and as soon as they weren't working she knew straight away that it was anxiety and I said well you know what what's what's causing this and she she said it's normal you know everything that you've been through in a pandemic and I just couldn't believe what I was going through I was in shock I was this person that you know, I had my shit together and and now mm. I don't. And when you're not getting sleep, you turn into a crazy mm. person. And I just wasn't thinking straight. So it was just getting worse and worse. And she said, we just need to get your sleep back on track. And once mm. you're sleeping well, Phoebe, you'll think clearly again, you're the mm. same person. Everything's going to be okay. We're all here for you. We just, you need to bank that sleep and you'll, mm. and you'll start to think clearer. So As soon as we knew the sleeping tablets weren't working, she popped me onto an anti-anxiety medication very quickly um, and and that worked instantly. Um, I started taking that and she also had me on a similar medication for nighttime just to ease the racing of the mind. Um, And they started working within days and I was back to my old self after banking a bit of sleep quite quickly um -hmm. alongside that we had a psychologist that actually lived a few streets away that she put me in touch with um and the psychologist was coming over to the house um during lockdown we were Mm -hmm. going for walks during the day and sometimes if I I, if I wasn't coping she would just call and say I'm on the front doorstep um let me in Mm -hmm. so she would come in and say this is what you two need to do today Matt Mm -hmm. you go to work you know Phoebe's mum, you need to look after Millie Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take Phoebe. And she really took the reins and at that point Mm -hmm. I needed someone to take control and just say this is what's happening, this is how we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was also a psychiatrist who was wonderful who really is just there to monitor um, the whole situation, the whole big picture as well as the medication point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And she works with the psychologist to give you exercises because They don't want you on medication forever. I think the medication is really at the start. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then it's about getting the tools that you need to, to get through this and, and the long-term picture. So it's a real team-building exercise. So all of us together, yeah, we got through it and, and we're here today. And I'm still on uh, a very minimal medication um, from a treatment point of view, so lots of calming meditation and exercises and things like that. Um, gratitude we find really helpful at night time. Matt and I sit together and just quickly... Go through three things that we're grateful for that day, and something we're we're looking forward to the next day. I find that helps me at nighttime get to sleep. Um, but and and yeah, the medication they've said mm-hmm. to keep on the medication um, if we're thinking about getting pregnant again. Um, it's it's completely safe to be on it um, mm-hmm. whilst. Feeding, breastfeeding, or whilst um, getting pregnant again, and it just ensures smooth sailing um, next time around that this won't happen again. And that's the main thing I think going into maybe thinking about down the track having baby number two is mm. I-, I can't let that happen um, again. I was at an all-time low. I was I was just so lonely, so lost. Mm. Um, it was a dark time, and 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 just not sleeping. I think sleep is such an important. <sighs> important thing Absolutely. And, and i just can't i just can't let that happen again so mm. my whole team obstetrician everyone have just mm. said we won't let that happen again we can yeah. play around with things watch things really closely and if we need to yeah. up anything as your hormones change then we can mm. so yeah i'm feeling really positive and i've got this mm. and now i can talk about it and you know mm. there's a stigma big time with um uh, anxiety and depression, especially with with postnatal, um, and. I just feel stronger now that I can talk about it very openly mm. with friends and family and, you know, on the podcast, it's, mm. it's normal. It's so common. Oh, and, so common. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking something for, for a health condition, just as I yeah. would for anything else. And, yeah. and I feel fabulous. And I'm a fantastic mm. mum, and I'm a fantastic wife and I'm a better mm. version of myself and it's not forever. Mm. And mm. it's just for now. And, Yeah, I feel fantastic.
1: I think it's amazing and I think it's, you know, and this is the whole point of it, right, but just taking away the stigma from all of these things that so many people, as you mentioned, Matt, from the start, so many people are experiencing all of these things that we've been talking about yet no no one's talking about it. I'm just curious, Phoebe, how long did it take you from feeling the depth of despair to kind of starting to feel a little bit more yourself? Are we talking a month? Are we talking weeks or months or how long do you think? I'm
0: going to say it was... Two to three months. It okay. is, it's definitely yeah. not overnight. it, it yes. it's a, yeah. It's a lot of work. I mean, yes, mm. the medication helps, but mm. changing that frame of mind and mm. being scared of where you were and letting it happen again. Um, mm. And I think definitely the insomnia, you, you go to bed thinking, am I going to sleep tonight? Mm. <laughs> How am I going to feel waking up the next morning? And then it's just that... that Changing your the your mindset and and your your ways of thinking, and there's a lot of exercises involved, and it's hard work. It's finding the time to, you know, meditate with a newborn, and you know, do all these things, and phone calls with, and zooms and things like that with with a psychologist and with a psychiatrist. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of work, but um, it's worth it.
2: For me, I, I often wonder if if it would have been what it was um if it weren't for for covid and, and the lockdowns that mm. we're going through not having that support network and not being able to to spend time with family and, and get out and about and, and um and share the excitement um yeah and just so many unknowns through that through those first couple of lockdowns we had no idea what was going on or what was going to happen so you know i'm sure that played a, a huge part in in everything that went down for us and it was just a <laughs> A a perfect storm, and um, Mm -hmm. we weathered the storm. We made our way through it, and, um, you know, like I said earlier, stronger than ever now, so uh, Mm -hmm. we're we're both better for the experience and a a stronger family family unit moving forward.
1: Mm -hmm. And I don't think we'd
0: change anything either. I mean, Mm -hmm. sitting here today thinking about it all, I wouldn't change anything. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, a chapter in our book, a story to tell, and, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're better than ever, stronger than ever.
1: I love that. To wrap up, what would each of you say to those listening who are potentially going through their own struggles and whatever that looks like, whether that's conceiving, whether that's postnatal depression, whether, you know, what are the things now in hindsight, a bit of words of advice, a bit of inspo um, for those listening? What comes to mind, Phoebe? There's
0: just so much help out there. And you don't know what you need until you need it, but there is just so much help from all the team um, at my obstetrician's office. They've been amazing. They're receptionists. Uh, they just—you can email, you can call. They—they they care. That's why they—they—they they, they do what they do. And your obstetrician, yes, it's a doctor and a surgeon, but they're just—they're humans, and, and they have and a lot of them have children. They've been through it, and the nurses have been fantastic. And—and and they have resources. You know, that's how we got our um, the first psychologist, the the fertility psychologist. I mean, who knew they existed? There's, yeah, you just have to say you need a little bit of help in what area you need it in and yeah. we're all about outsourcing now if we need something we're outsourcing you know when Millie was a few weeks old we didn't understand how much a baby needed to sleep so I spoke to Chris and he said that's okay I've got a sleep scientist she can come to your house even in lockdown and she can tell you um, about a baby's sleep schedule and what you need to be achieving and so we did yeah. that and there's breastfeeding consultants. There's psychologists, there's psychiatrists, there's there's a whole gamut of things and a lot of it you're covered for as well with with Medicare and, and private health insurance and just talking to friends and podcasts. I mean, your podcast couldn't have come at, at a more perfect time for me when I was on maternity leave and I was exercising every day to to get the fresh air and the vitamin D and to clear my mind. I've just how I know that you do the same too, Leonie. The, getting out for those long walks is, is really key for me and mm-hmm. I've never listened to podcasts before. So mm-hmm. getting into those and I'm mm-hmm. not alone. There are so many people out there. There are so many resources and mm-hmm. and people going through the same thing. So you're, you're not alone and, and just call out for help because there is just so much out there. Um, mm-hmm. It's fantastic. So mm-hmm. I, I'm really not scared to should go and try for a second baby now. Um, I don't know when that will be, but mm. I'm not scared because I know how to outsource. I know that there's help out there and I know to ask mm. for and put my hand up. I'm, I've always been very driven and such a fast-paced person and mm. never really thought I needed help with anything. And, and, you know, sometimes you do and that's that's okay and it's there. So I'm going mm. <laughs> to reach out next time when I need it.
1: Oh, I love that. What about you, Matt? What comes to mind?
2: Yeah, it's really, I'm the same. It's really my number one piece of of advice is to speak up, you know, talk to your partner, uh, talk to family, talk to friends, talk to your GP, talk to your specialist, because uh, there's not a single thing that we went through um, that was a surprise to anyone, nearly everything that we experienced. They said, this is perfectly normal and there's a ton of different ways we can help you through this. So, um, you know, there is help out there. Um, someone's been down the track that, that you're on uh, before um, so leverage that and, and make sure you understand what other people have done to, to get through it um, because yeah it, it definitely once we spoke up and we started talking to the right people um, it opened up a whole new world for us and um, and, and things got better really really quickly so um, mm-hmm. yeah that's it speak up
1: I love that. Thank you both so much for, for being with us today, for sh- sharing your stories so vulnerably. Um, you know, really appreciate it. And I know that you'll, you know, have inspired a lot of people listening. So thanks again, guys. It was a pleasure. It was so nice.
2: Thanks, honey.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. Want to be part of the parenthood community? join our facebook group and follow us on instagram at parenthood pod now i'll let you get back to the organized chaos until next time